So, Assalamualaikum, everybody. Um, I'm. We're all gonna use this mic. It's recording, um, but it's not going to project. So you'll have to just speak loudly. Um, so was that khutbah great or great? Yeah. Woo! Mashallah. Uh, it was really the perfect message, so thank you so much, Samia. And now, um, Samia and Tasneem are officially the first two sisters to give khutbahs at the Women's Mosque, so that's really cool. Um, who would like to start off and ask the first question? All right, Hannah. It's not really a question, it's more of a comment. I just wanted to really thank Samia because I really felt like um, all the reflections that she had were very personal to me, and... Um, yeah, I just wanted to thank Samia for a beautiful hutba. The points you made towards the end about um, be good to yourself and those kind of, I want to kind of get in my, my brain a little better. Thank you. That is such an excellent question because I feel like we always need to deepen our practice of all the different ways in which we can love ourselves. And there's so many ways for us to love ourselves. I love it. I think the the one of the main ways that I highlight, two main ways I highlighted in the khutbah. Number one was just practicing more self-discipline um, and self-restraint so we can learn to trust ourselves more because when we can trust ourselves more, we can love ourselves more. Uh, anything you can do to help you increase your self, uh, self sense of uh self-trust will help you deepen your self-love so whether uh, it's you know creating schedules and doing your best to stick with them uh, is one is just one way to create that sense of greater self-trust it, it's because it all just comes down to do we keep our word to ourselves that's what it comes down to and then the second way I highlighted for us to love ourselves is to just be more forgiving towards ourselves and towards others. You know, it's about letting go of those negative emotions once they have done their job. And, you know, it's not functional for us to hold on to them uh, anymore. So that's where forgiveness comes in. And this is something that, you know, is a very strong teaching of, of Islam, that we practice forgiveness and we practice being merciful uh, towards ourselves and others. So those were the two things I highlighted in the khutbah. Do we have any new people today? I know there was one. Where'd she go? Oh, she's outside. You want to ask a question? Anything? Oh, she's a little shy. <laughs> so we do encourage you all to really use this space um, to practice strengthening your voice. So if you find that you usually are, uh, you know, someone who doesn't speak up, we want you to practice in this space speaking up because um, it was something that uh, came up when we were doing our Black Lives Matter discussion circle series that, you know, in times when you really do need to speak up, um, it's much easier if you've had some practice, you know, in a safe, loving environment like this, um, you know, to do it when it's most difficult and maybe we are facing opposition. So really take advantage of this space to, to practice using your voice. All right, Priscilla. The sister, <clears throat> out of all the koopas, I think yours held me the entire time. Not to say that the others didn't, but it constantly made you 
evaluate yourself. And the things that you told us that one should do, which I agree with, are some of the most difficult things to do. But your perspective on it, on them, makes it like so easy. <laughs> so thank you very much. I enjoyed, I enjoyed your talk. Assalamu alaikum and Ramadan Mubarak, Eid Mubarak. I've already complimented our Katiba and the sister Priscilla has just stolen my fire. <laughs> because I was going to say basically the same thing which I said to you privately. It was the way that you presented. It was very clear, it was very gentle, and it was very, very informative and did cause me to have to think each step of the way. So thank you. Alhamdulillah. My question to you is, I've heard of fasting on Monday and Thursday. I've heard that you cannot fast on Friday unless you combine it with another day. But the 14th, 15th, and 16th, the, mid of the middle of the month, 13th, 14th, and 15th, can you give a little bit of clarification? Is that one of the hadith, and where is the hadith connected? So um, it was just one of the practices of the Prophet that there are uh, some hadiths and sunnah traditions. Um, I can't think of a... It's like, you know, I learned... Oh, no, no, it's... Oh, sorry. It's just to record. Um, yeah, so the 14th, 15th, 13th, 14th, 15th is actually of the lunar month. So it's like you have to think about it in the context of when the moon is full moon or almost full moon, like that, that, uh, it's, so it's not necessarily coordinated with our June, July, August kind of calendar. And it's just, it was just one of the practices of the prophet that we know about. So, yeah. Yeah, around the period of the full moon, yeah. Yeah, and I can actually attest to that because one year I did it. Um, so there's also another um, uh, hadith where if you fast at least three days a month, um, throughout the year, it's as if you fasted the entire year, um, like the benefits of it. So I tried it one year, um, and the um, I, I really noticed those full moon days. Like there's so much, you know, uh, science and mythology and everything around those full moon days, like werewolves and stuff. Um, but but in terms of actual science. Um, you know, there, it does change tidal waves. It does, you know, change the way we react and and um, experience the world. And what I found is that the fasting during those days calms the nafs, calms that ego that would otherwise get aroused during those days. And so um, then the following year, I didn't do it. And I noticed, like, around those days, I would be eating like crazy. And I'm like, what, what am I doing? Am I a vampire? <laughs> and I realized, oh, I'm not fasting this year. And I definitely noticed like an uptick in my, you know, nuffs, uh, quote unquote, activities, which I tend to overeat when I'm anxious. <laughs> what? Is there a full moon now? <laughs> no, it's just, it's just Eid right now or after Eid. <laughs> Cool. But that's, uh, you know, some of the cool things about Islam that, you know, it really uh, naturally or aligns our, our bodies with nature. You know, even praying five times a day is according to the position of the sun, you know, throughout the year. So our bodies are always naturally in, aligned with our environment. So it's a really cool thing. Uh, I really liked your idea of the schedule. I wanted to just kind of uh, see what kind of schedule that you found works really well for you and how you've tweaked it over the years. 
Um, so I actually have a number of different routines that I like to call them uh, that I follow. Like I have a morning routine, a daytime routine, a nighttime routine. And, you know, when I mentioned the tip about using fasting as a way to sort of help us throughout the year, one of the things that um, I find effective in that context is whenever you're like trying to develop a new habit, if we can somehow attach it to an old habit, an old good habit that we already have going on. So for example, if you're already in the good habit of praying Maghreb on time every day, so you want to now create a new good habit, how about you, know, you attach it to your performance of Maghreb prayer. So either you do it right before or you do it right after, you know, something like that. So in your mind, it's attached to that already established good habit. So, uh, you know, in, in Ramadan, for example, this was actually one of the tips that uh, one of the imams gave where he was like, you know, you're already praying, so why not attach the habit of reciting the Quran to when you pray. So you can either just take five minutes before the prayer or five minutes after the prayer um, and and just uh, help yourself create that new habit by attaching it to the older habit. So in that context, you know, you can think about it um, like with the morning routine, for example, that I follow. The very first thing we do, uh, I do, and I teach my clients to do this also, is that we wake up and we smile. So it's like, you know, we wake up anyway and we're, you know, opening our eyes and so forth. And so why not just create a habit around that action that we take and every day anyway? And we just teach ourselves to smile when we first wake up. Or when another part of my morning routine is when I'm brushing my teeth. I do a gratitude meditation, right? So I'm like brushing my teeth anyway. It's like why think of random thoughts uh, during that time? Use that time to do a little gratitude meditation and just think of one thing that I'm grateful for at that time and just use that time I'm brushing my teeth uh, for that. So you can just take whatever habits you already have established, good ones, and just attach other other things um, other new habits to them. And so that can sometimes make things much easier. Now, did that answer your question? Okay. All right. And yeah, okay. If, if you need a follow-up on that, I lost my train of thought. So ask me. And uh, is there a sign-up sheet for people who want to sign up for your... You can always go to my website at academyofthriving.com. And I academyofthriving.com yeah and I actually have a lot of free educational resources already on the website I have a podcast I have a, a webinar so you can get lots of uh, cool information and on the website is also a contact us page so you can get my contact information from there yay our new person stepping up it's not really a question just a observation comment I'm really really happy to be here energy that is here is uplifting, enriching. You know, I've, I've heard about the woman's mosque through Mahasan when it first started. And I kept thinking, wow, that is an innovative idea. I mean, I'd not heard of it before or since. And I just wanted to say thank you all for welcoming me, because that's how I felt when I walked in the door. Truly welcomed. And 
I've been to masjids where, you know, just a masjid, where you felt like a fly on the wall. And that's a really weird feeling. And I really, and I wondered and hoped that when I was here as, as a member of a mosque that we didn't do the same to other sisters that came in. Sometimes you get caught up in whatever you're doing and you don't even notice a new person that needs that welcoming. I mean, I, I just had to leave because why was I there? You know, and so this is why my community is still here, even though I've been gone 14 years. I, I feel like if, if I don't come back for Ramadan, my Ramadan is not complete. And so this has been a, uh, I told her, this has been a magical time for me being here. So many really good things have happened, and this is one of them. And thank you so much for the kippah. It was also uplifting and enriching. Alhamdulillah. Well, thank you for coming, and uh, we hope this isn't the last time we'll see you. We, we, we look forward to seeing you again. All right, Abrafi? Thank you. I don't want to take the conversation off topic, so maybe I'll just say this, and it doesn't have to be dealt with right now. But apparently, some Muslim women are being told by various imams that they should reconsider wearing hijab when they go out because of the anti-Islamic climate that is just really quite frightening. So that was what I wanted to say, and I was hoping that we could take just a moment of silence for that young woman who was brutally murdered, you know. And I just wish something like the women's mosque, if those other young women had just turned into a pack of lionesses. Women do have to stand up and protect ourselves. You know, so that's it. So I didn't want to go off topic. I just no, wanted no, to mention. thank you. Thank you for, for mentioning that. Um, and inshallah, we'll make dua for her um, when we do all the duas. Honestly, thank you, sister, for bringing that up because that's been so heavy on my mind. I've just been so sad for her. And I also have been just th trying to think critically about like we what this means for all of us, what it means for us as individuals, as a community of sisters. And, and I, I'd really love if we could kind of talk about it a little bit too. I also, I, you know, was thinking about Emmett Till. I was thinking about the fam, the, you know, her youngest sister who's only three years old, you know, not to be like uh, with this young woman. Oh, so this is, you know, but this is what the information is that I've read. They had gone to a kiam. They were either going back to the masjid or going to go eat and, um, and there was a group of young girls. I'm not sure if there were also young teenagers, males there too, but uh, there was an incident over something on the road. And the non-Muslim, you know, Latino male who was in the car or something got, in, got upset with one of the other girls or young males. And um, there was an altercation, and he got in a metal bat, and then he went out back outside and started chasing all the girls. The girls dispersed. She, um, Nabra, I guess, tripped, and she just wasn't able to run away fast enough. Um, she was either she was assaulted there, uh, so I think she was hit and then taken to another location near a pond. Um, I think they do have to confirm whether she was sexually assaulted, but she was beaten with a metal bat to death and then thrown into a pond. 
and then her body was recovered. Obviously, you can imagine it was like a bloated and severely assaulted body. So, I mean, it's just the brutality of it. We've asked, we've had members of our community shot at their homes and lots of places, but this is the brutality of it. And also particularly for women who there's the added effect of the, the brutality of the sexual assault. So how can we recover from this important um, life that was lost in such a brutal way? And uh, I'm, I'm just so, so sad for her. And I'd like make two of her and her family. One, how do we overcome it? Um, we get smart, first of all. And so I'm going to speak, I'm a, a veteran, so I'm going to speak from that point of view, from the security point of view. And what I've noticed is that we don't take any of our surroundings in the situations we in serious enough. We don't, we're not ever on our guards. We're thinking that it's what we're accustomed to, and it's a new day. It's a new day, and they're strategizing. They're strategizing on how to harm you quick, fast, and in a hurry. And we're walking around like it's not going to happen to me. So that's the first thing we need to change, is that it's not going to happen to me. The second thing is, is I remember looking at, um, it might have been on Facebook, and a young sister was at a, a coffee place. And so this gentleman decided that he wanted to abuse her. She was uh, hijabbed. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm not really responding to what he's saying. I'm watching how she's making a thousand and one mistakes for her own protection. One is when he walked up to her table, she stayed seated. You don't stay seated. You get up, okay? And then second of all, I, I don't have a problem with the recording, but you be prepared. My phone would have been down. You be prepared to protect yourself. So like the uh, two people and the two people who died in almost uh, in uh, Oregon or Seattle or wherever that was, they died when they knew better how to protect themselves, but they didn't take the situation as serious as it was. They thought they could talk the person down, but this person had already strategized and had already practiced on how to harm someone quickly where they will not come to you. So they figured you get the artery, he bleeds out. He's not coming to you because he realizes he's bleeding out, okay? And that hasn't happened once, that's happened multiple times, this particular strategy. So in my estimation, we just need to be a little bit more smarter. If we need to take some classes, take them, okay? If we need to walk in groups, do that. If we need to run, my daddy said when I was a little girl, ain't no harm in running from a situation. So, I mean, we really, Allah's God, things are going to happen, but I say be prepared. For the hijab story, I, um, I do agree we need to talk about this a little bit more. But for the hijab part, in my life, I grew up, I've been a Muslim all my life, I grew up having my head scarf on. I know how it is to be victimized by your own people because of your religion, right? I never thought to take it out. Why? Because in my world, I had protectors, right? Brothers would be there and protect anybody, kick anybody's butt. Oh, it, that's how it happens. So I didn't have that fear. But um, Imam Muhammad, Warfdi Muhammad, made a statement, 
and it's been on um, Facebook, but I actually remember hearing it myself. And he said, in circumstances where our lives are threatened, it's okay to not show items or wear or whatever of who we are. Okay. And it doesn't take anything away from our religion. Am I going to tell a sister not to cover? No, I'm not. Okay. But I have some real liberal feelings about that. And so I say, let's protect ourselves. Yeah. Thank you, both of you, for bringing this up. Uh, and definitely something we need to talk a lot more about and think a lot more about. Um, two points that I just wanted to make really quickly. Number one is... Um, just to know and remind yourself that it's okay for you to be feeling sad right now. Uh, feeling sad in the face of loss, it's a natural reaction. It's a natural reaction to grief is the natural reaction to loss. And, and so there's nothing wrong with you for feeling the way you are right now. And uh, honor that feeling. It shows that you're human, that you have compassion and empathy. And um, once we, you know, we're able to honor our own feelings, then, you know, you can start to think about, okay, what else can I do now to sort of move forward so I'm not bogged down in the sadness um, uh, long term so that's where one of the things that can really help is connecting to community you know and and opening up the discussion uh, being able to share our feelings and thoughts about these things I'm so glad that you that you did that and and just anything you can do to help someone else heal from whatever they may be hurting with it'll help you take your focus off your own suffering so uh, it's not necessarily the first thing we do, but you know, once we, we have honored our own feelings, then definitely that's something that can help is to shift our attention away from our own feelings and take care of someone else, help someone else heal. And that helps us heal um, ourselves. And um, the second thing was more, more general. I actually, among other things, uh, also trained to be a self-defense instructor for women. And uh, one of the really cool things about the training that I got was that we put a lot of emphasis on mental and emotional aspects of self-defense. One of the things my teacher actually taught us was that 90% of self-defense is about mindset. We actually know of cases where there were people uh, like women, there was this one particular case uh, that really always sticks in my memory of this girl who had been going to karate classes for years. And uh, I think she had even got like a brown belt or a black belt or something. And unfortunately, one day she got attacked in the street and she was, she froze in that moment and she was unable to use the skills she had learned in in class to defend herself in that moment. Why? Because when she went to the karate classes, it was like a game, you know, like where they teach it to you like it's a sport. But when you're on the street and your life is threatened, it's, it's a different mindset that you need to get yourself into. And so 
um, you know, on the other side of, of the coin, we know so many cases of women and men who have had no training uh, in terms of physical self-defense and so forth, and yet they did whatever it took to get away and to escape and to keep themselves safe. So while I do highly recommend that, yes, it can be extremely empowering for us to take training, um, and I, I do recommend it, and at the same time, if you haven't had a chance to take training yet, don't think that um, you cannot keep yourself safe without it. You you know, trust your instincts, and you can you can uh, in that moment just tap into that instinct to survive and do whatever it takes. And whatever you in that you do in that moment is the right thing to do. You know, it's like we can we can always sit and judge and analyze about. Like I heard some people talking about with these, uh, what happened with, in this particular case, that, oh, like, uh, the other girls ran away or how did they not notice, like, that this one girl got left behind. None of that matters. Each one of them did the best they could in the moment with what they knew and what they had. And, um, you know, yeah, so let's not, get into any blaming and judging either of ourselves or others that just bogs down our healing process so coming from a place of love and compassion toward, towards ourselves and everyone else yeah and i would just add don't doubt your emotions um exactly like she was saying those you know quote unquote negative emotions are there for a reason and a warning system so don't you know you know, if someone's saying like, oh, you're being paranoid or it's not, you know, whatever, don't uh, like let them say whatever they want to say, but trust your own emotions, um, which is really important. Better safe than sorry. I just had a quick question because I feel like with the what happened with number, it's also been like a real moment of paralysis um, for all of us. Um, but also a lot of the communal responses have been very suffocating, I think, for me, because I think on the one hand, as you were just saying, which I really appreciate your response, there's, in some situations, there's really nothing you can do. And we can, and I am weary of this sort of, I completely understand the sentiment of encouraging self-defense and people should know that. But I wonder if it's just sort of heightening our discomfort. What can, and I would like to know what we can do as a community to make this sort of a broader issue of why these things are occurring. Why is there a guy driving around with a metal baseball bat? Why should the onus be on the victims to kind of, as, to accept the blame for what's happening? I mean, for all sort of intents and purposes, this girl number was taking every precaution. She was traveling in a group. It was a mixed gender group. They all ran away, they dispersed. Um, and you can take your hijab off, but you can't change the color of your skin. We're still going to be targets. It's not, I mean, people who are being sort of targeted with Islamophobia sometimes aren't even Muslim. I mean, what happened in Portland, one of the, one of the victims, one of the 18-year-olds, she was not Muslim. She was just black. Um, exactly. So what do you, and I wonder what we can do as a community to respond in this moment, not out of sort of blaming ourselves. And, and I'm, I'm completely supportive of the idea of like women learning defense and, and things like that. But just as a broader issue, as we try to heal from this, I wonder um, if we have ideas about initiatives to make this a, a broader scale issue of what's happening across the country now, um, because it can't just be up to sort of teaching our 14 year old daughters, our 17 year old daughters to just like, 
assume responsibility. And a lot of her friends are now on suicide watch precisely because of the um, communal responses to this. They're saying, oh, there are men in this group, there are teenage boys in this group, why didn't they, uh, why weren't they responsible? And and there's Muslim leaders coming out with these types of responses when these children are all sort of victims of what happened. And there's only one perpetrator, the actual person who committed the murder. Um, and so I'd just like to kind of... Thank you, that's an excellent point. Samia, I just wanted to tell you, I met you nine years ago when I first became Muslim. I'm Sophia, I contacted you on Facebook a little bit ago. And she invited me into her home. I had dinner with her family and it was one of the best you know, um, experiences I had as a first Muslim. So I'm so happy to see where you are today. Yeah, I agree exactly what you're saying. Cause I've, I did, my mom put me and my sister in self-defense, like we were yellow belts or whatever from when we were girls. I've had my own situations though. That doesn't get you out because you have to think about how do I get out of this alive? How do I get out of this without this, this and this happening? So I think that's, that's important, but we, we have to go way beyond that <laughs> in the conversation. I've also been abroad and been here and there. Like, there will be, and you know, when we were in Egypt, a lot of us girls were living on our own, and then there were also a lot of American guys there. But we, also, we always would say, you know, we're being harassed on the street. These guys will be walking right by us, and a lot of the American boys, too. And we're like, you know you've grown up differently. But why, why don't they say anything? Why don't they come up as a band and, and talk back this, you know, talk off this guy? Because a lot of situations you can't just be like, okay, I'm going to get into a thing because, you're, you know, you have to get out of that space. So we have to, I, I think, you know, I'm on the, we, I want to mobilize and I want every single non-Muslim to know about Nabra. I want this to get the publicity that that it deserves and i want her life to to mean something as as it did before she died but even even more like we have to develop this in our movement in and and muslim women too that's what i want to see from this and of course self-defense for everyone to learn that too and then for us to be stronger when there are these situations and and we have to also strategize like how when we, each of us, if we get into those situations, what are we going to do to react? And I'd really love for us to have a plan for all of us. Like, I don't want that to happen to anybody here in this room. I'd, I want us to become stronger. And I'd really love us to do that in, at the next circle. And I'd love to hear from, from all of you guys about what you guys would do and how we think we can, we can grow stronger from this. And, and, and rise up from this. Self-defense training conducted by that sister over there. <laughs> and if she doesn't do it officially, I'm going to have her do a one-on-one -on -one with me. I've had the training many, many years ago. And by the way, males and females had it. The guys who walked past were probably just as scared or more than the girls. And I think uh, she, you brought in things about what to do, the mindset. You would be excellent to do that. And that's all. Inshallah, for sure, we can, um, we can arrange that. I just think it's very difficult to plan for those kinds of things in the situations because I've also taken self-defense. But like she was saying, and said, at the end of the day, 
when a crisis occurs, plans fall apart. And even if you practice, because you know practice makes permanence, the only person that you're 100% sure, that, well, not even yourself, you know, that you're sure of how they'll react and that you can control the reactions is your own. And so I think it's very difficult to make those kinds of plans because at the end of the day, everyone is trying to survive and get back to their families. And so I, I just wonder how you can plan for such an occasion. We don't do plan A, B, C, and D, right? Um, I, I do a lot of event planning, and I always have an A, B, C, D, E, and F. Okay, and and literally, I have had to go from B to D, to, you know, for so you always put your and you know so, sometimes I think I'm a tad crazy, simply because I I see situations and I ask myself how I'm going to deal with it. Okay, somebody come behind me, how I'm going to deal with it. Somebody comes in front of me, how I'm going to deal with it. Okay, if that don't work, what else might work? Okay, and so we have to have plans A, B, C, D. Okay, simple as that. All right, so we'll just take a couple more and then we'll end. So uh, um, just re with regards to what you're saying, <laughs> um, I think despite all the plans, I mean, I can't test from personal experience the one time, and it obviously it's nothing to do with, this was in the country I'm from wherever most people look like me, the one time something happened, I ran. And I totally abandoned the person I was with. I just ran. And I, if you'd asked me what I would have done beforehand, I would have been like, I would have stayed. I would have, I legged it. Like, as, and I mean, I, I had no idea what happened to them. So, but I think the part that I find the most upsetting about this whole, well, not the most upsetting, but one of the parts that really concerns me is like, where's the outrage? And, and I, part of it is because we're in an environment that's so like, we're all outraged about everything. I, that's the part that I found the most upsetting is like, where's the outrage about what's happened here? This is horrific. And yet, I mean, it's kind of on the news and there's no, and that's the part in a sea of, in, of, of outrageous things, but nothing on this level, it, it, it almost like dilutes out how outrageous this is and where, where is the outrage? And that's the part that I've struggled with personally. Like this was horrific and it's sort of like a sidebar. And that's sad. I don't have a solution, but. All right, and this will be the last one. Um, I also want to say thank you for welcoming me here. Um, it's my first time to be part of this community, and it's been wonderful. Um, I Building on your comment, I think um, the fact that there, there isn't maybe the broad outrage, and especially in outside of the Muslim community, and I think the sense that we are, we are, unfortunately, if we're not already, we're becoming normalized to violence. And we can, there are people who will, can um, almost like justify who, who, whose life doesn't matter as much. Oh, if that person wasn't doing this, then they wouldn't have died. You know, it's putting the blame on the victim. And I think we, we part of it is the overload of everything that we're seeing, but so I, I kind of feel like there's a line between from a very individual standpoint of um, needing to understand the reality and being prepared, um, but then also remembering that this is not a normal that I am going to ever, I'm not going to make this a new normal. Um, and so what my, you know, whatever actions I can take to to, to move against the fact that, yeah, there's another young person dead in the news there'll be someone else tomorrow, 
what can I really do about it? I think that to me is, that's very frightful. Um, and, and our ability to sort of segment, I don't need to care about that person because that was a Muslim girl, or I don't need to care about this person because they're a person of color. I'm not saying that's a conscious thought, but I think I see it happening. It's what happens. And so how do we to your, you know, when you're asking your question, what I'm thinking about is, you know, how do we make it so that there's not a single person who can't imagine their own 17 year old daughter, sister, cousin, you know, in that situation and feel that outraged and feel that saddened. And we have to, we have to get there. We have to put, I've, that's at least what I have committed myself to do. So, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we'll end now. Uh, Super Smash Buns is outside.